You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brace yourselves, Wicked South listeners. You are about to get a sneak literary peek into two of the hottest new Southern nonfiction books coming out this winter. First, you will hear from a great South Carolina writer, journalist, and historian, Catherine Smith, author of Baptist and Bootleggers and the recently released Methodist and Moonshiners. Then, Wicked South co-host and author Michael M. DeWitt Jr., spills the tea on his recently released book, and reads a couple of stories that are guaranteed to hook you and leave you wanting more. Brace yourselves, pour a little snort of white lightning to steady your nerves, and follow us on a literary tour of Southern moonshine, murder, and mayhem. Hello, friend. That was the lovely, wonderful voice of journalist, historian, storyteller, author, Michael DeWitt Jr., speaking himself in the third person to give us that intro. Uh, He is a writer, journalist for the USA Today Network of Papers. He has the book Wicked Hampton County and the newest is the fall of the House of Murdoch. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker, taking some time off. She is not here today. We co-host Impact of Influence, as well as this podcast with Michael DeWitt. Michael, I am so proud of you and happy for you that the fall of the House of Murdoch is officially out. Well, I I appreciate that, Matt. I'm proud, but also relieved and tired and weary. (laughs) It's been a long ride. I bet you are. We're going to get into more of that book in a little bit, but I do want to right out of the the gate say the best way for them to get their hands on the fall of the House of Murdoch. Well, you can actually get uh, both books that we'll talk about today. You can find at Evening Post Books, which is a wonderful uh, Southern publisher here in Charleston, South Carolina. They published my book. They published Catherine Smith's book and uh, lots of great South Carolina and Southern authors and poets as well. And of course, we will have the link uh, to their website and how to get the books up on The Wicked South on Facebook. That's how you look it up on Facebook, The Wicked South. 
please rate and review and share the episode and subscribe or follow uh, because we uh, love your support. First of all, we need your support and we're grateful for your support. The other folks that are supporting us and we have are some sponsors to tell us about, right, Michael? That's right. We have some, uh, some wonderful sponsors, Dr. Kenny Kinsey and Associates, who I feel like is uh, almost kind of like, uh, what's the, the expression, uh, a brother from another mother. <laughs> I'm just a great guy. We have two craft distilleries, also moonshine makers as well. Palmetto Pride Distillery, which is uh, known for their Palmetto Pride Moonshine, based in Anderson, South Carolina, in the upstate. I mean, right here in the 14th Circuit, we have Rotten Little Bastard Distillery in Beaufort, South Carolina, and they make a variety of spirits as well. But it occurred to us recently that we need uh, maybe one or two to kind of balance things out. We have a, uh, you know, a retired cop and investigator. We have a couple of moonshine makers as sponsors. So we need to, uh, you know, go the other way. Maybe if a Baptist church wants to sponsor (laughs) us to kind of even things out or, um, you know, a mega church or uh, or maybe a Bales bondsman. So if you get in trouble with Kenny, you know, you know, call the bondsman and get you out, you know. Or maybe a good lawyer. If there's a law firm or, or lawyers out there listening, you know, we'd love to to uh, to have a, a good sponsor to keep us straight and keep us legal. So sponsors are always welcome. We hope you'll support our sponsors. Uh, you know, we still cost a little money to make this baby, and so we do appreciate the support of our sponsors and are always looking forward to someone else signing up. You can reach us through the Wicked South podcast Facebook page or find Michael Dewitt junior on the various socials and message him through there as well uh there's also a donation button on your podcast page there you should be able to find and if you want to send a little christmas donation to the fund we would greatly appreciate any help that you can give us to keeping this podcast going it's a lot of fun and we had fun when she was on with us before. Fabulous author Catherine Smith joins us. And we had her on previously talking about the book that she previously released. This one is Methodist and Moonshiners, Another Prohibition Expedition to the South, Cocktail Recipes. <laughs> and uh, Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you. I, I was thinking maybe I should have said with more cocktail recipes, but... I didn't think about that in time. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, well, we can always uh, use a good cocktail recipe. There's no doubt about that. Uh, so we've had you on the show before. Tell the readers a little bit about you again. Remind them what okay. has attracted you to these books about bootleggers and moonshine. Well, it started with my father, who's an economist and has a theory of regulation called bootleggers and Baptists. And it's based on the uh, about the blue laws that both the Baptists and the bootleggers are opposed to legal alcohol sales on Sunday. The Baptists, because it's a sin to drink on Sunday, the bootleggers, because, hey, that opens up the market to us. Mm-hmm. So my son and my father, they're both economists, wrote a book together of case studies. And whenever I would say, oh, my son and my father have written a book called Bootleggers and Baptists, people would say, Ooh, that sounds like a fun book. And <laughs> then I'd have to break the sad news that it's an economics book and maybe not so much fun. But um, and then I thought, well, maybe I'll write a fun book. So that resulted in in my book, Baptist and Bootleggers. And then 
Um, the, the latest one is Methodist and Moonshiners, which just continues the story. Um, going from places I didn't go before, like North Carolina. Now, Catherine, I have read your first book. And your second book is on my Christmas list. I always uh, give my yeah. wife some uh, some little <laughs> hints about Christmas. And I went into, into detail with the link, how much it costs and everything. I said, just a little hint. Uh, I need <laughs> wow. this book really badly. Wow. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm buying your book for my father for Christmas. So there. there you go. <laughs> well, very good. Very good. He was so, fascinated by the trial. I think but, a lot um, of people were. Oh, my goodness. But the first... Um, book, I was researching it during the COVID epidemic, so I had to keep dodging COVID outbreaks as far as doing my field research, so I never got really to North Carolina. And then I started hearing all these great stories about North Carolina and Virginia and the mountains and the bootleggers and the moonshiners, and I thought, well, you know, I really need to go back and write another book. So I was able to convince um, Elizabeth Hollerith, the wonderful editor at Evening Post Books, that a, a companion volume was a good idea. So um, that's that's what's what we've got now. So you can buy a match set and have all the cocktail recipes you need and, and really cover the whole South this time between the two books. Well, I plan to to do that. I plan to. Uh, I haven't tried the recipes yet. I, that's that's next on the list when I get through reading. Um, but before we get into your stories, you are probably known by now as maybe the ultimate moonshine historian. Um, oh at least no, in our area. Oh uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even even pretend to. But you know, as far as a, a quirky travelogue historian, maybe. <laughs> but there's some people much more. I mean, I couldn't even explain how to make moonshine. I've seen the parts. I've seen the worm. I've seen all this. But, I, you know, there are people who could really, you know, explain how to do it. But anyway, but thank you. That's very kind. But as far as quirky history goes, maybe I've got to. <laughs> now that you're a, a quirky moonshine historian, do people treat you any different? Do you get funny looks at church or, or social events or? Um, only when I wear my um, olive on a toothpick earrings, maybe. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had some uh, great stories uh, when you were on with us before. Is there a, another story you'd like to share with us from this book? Yeah. Um, actually, I'm in, in North Carolina right now. I'm visiting my, my son and his wife and, and my grandchildren. And yesterday I was in Mount Airy, which, as you know, is the yeah. hometown of, of Andy Griffith. I kind of went there by accident when I was working on the first book. And I was going up the highway with my Aunt Susan, who was my um, traveling companion. And we saw this sound, this sign to Mount Airy. said, oh, let's go there for lunch. And we just found out all kinds of stuff we didn't know about. But we went to Snappy Lunch, which is a little um, diner kind of where um, Andy Griffith actually came in to eat lunch when he was a teenager in high school there. They are famous for the the deep fried pork chop sandwich. Mm. Oh, boy, is it good. You have to eat mm. it with a fork and knife. But, you mm. know, a lot of things about Mount Airy are very, are very, very touristy and um, aimed at people who are, are fans of, of the Mayberry series of that's what it was based on was Mount Airy. Um, you can go on a, a tour of the town in a black and white police car and all that kind of thing. Stay in Andy Griffith's actually his own childhood home is now a, a B and B. But what I discovered when I was walking through a um, passageway from the parking lot to downtown is they had the Mount Airy stock car racing wall of fame. 
dedicated to the early stock car racers who were pretty much all uh, moonshine drivers. So you can get moonshine ice cream if you're in in there. You have to be 21, however. Um, Roadkill Peach Moonshine Ice Cream. um, They've got three distilleries now. They have a, a moonshine and racers reunion. Anyway, so it really speaks to how you're getting into the mountains here where there was just a hotbed of, of moonshine activity. But the thing that really astonished my aunt and me was we learned that Chang and Ng Bunker, who were the original Siamese twins, um, lived in Mount Airy. Mm-hmm. Now, you, most people have heard of them. They were actually brought over from Siam, which is Thailand today, and um, you know, went were kind of paraded around as a freak show all over the United States and in Europe. And then when they were teenagers, and when they became 21, they left the guy who who had pretty much bought them from their parents, started their own tours and made a whole lot of money. And they had been to North Carolina on their tours, so they really uh, decided to come back here. They convinced two sisters to marry them, and they had 21 children. Wow. And the moonshine part of it, I know, um, it just boggles the mind. There are uh, 1,500 descendants of the Bunker family, um, many of them living in this area. One of them runs the Mayberry Campground. And um, But the thing that I found fascinating was that Chang was an alcoholic and Ng was a teetotaler. But they're connected. They're connected. Their organs are what they're at. At the the liver. Wait, they're connected at the liver, even though Yeah, yeah. So when Chang um, had, was in poor health before Ng was, he suffered a stroke. So here's Ng, you know, having to drag around this um, incapacitated brother who drank all the time. Then Chang actually died of another stroke, and Ng died um, three hours later after suffering a heart attack. And their liver is on display at what? the the Muter Museum of at the College of Physicians in Philadelphia. Yes, it's got yes. all these, you know, you know, it's got Alfred Einstein's brain and that kind of thing. I've been um, there. I've been there. It's very. Have cool. you been there? Yes, I have. A couple I would times. love to go there. It sounds fascinating. It's fascinating. Uh, yeah, they've got a plaster cast of their bodies. Actually, they ship their bodies up there to, you know, be autopsied and all that, and then they shipped them back, and they were buried in the churchyard. They were Baptist. In the end, but anyway, that's how I found out about the um, Hillsville Courthouse massacre, which I talked about last time I was here. And it's just, you know, it's just one of these things you just kind of randomly go off on a side trail and find out all this fascinating stuff. And um, and that's kind of how the whole book is. <laughs> <laughs> I was headed this way, and then I stopped and found out this. And um, but it just seems like alcohol has something to do with everything. Yeah, well, story of my life. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I guess it's a tragic, uh, dark story, especially the ending. But it is one of those tales that uh, you just, you know, just kind of pulls you in. You know, I can't imagine twenty-one kids and one guy drinks and the other guy has no choice. It's just yeah. kind of a crazy yeah, thing. Just, yeah. But they were, um, they lost all their money in the civil war. They bought Confederate bonds. They had slaves and they were either really nice taskmasters or, or really awful taskmasters, depending on who you believe. And, um, they were, they went back on tour to try to recoup their finances, but they, um, 
were just laughed at this time. Uh, and that's when they came back and, and Chang had his, his stroke. And, but they take their children, some of their children with them. But they had two sons who fought for the Confederacy. It's just a, it's just a sad story. Um, but another really amazing story from Concord, North Carolina, which is near Charlotte, yeah. is that of Gaston Bullock Means, who FDI, who J. Edgar Hoover called the most amazing figure in contemporary criminal history. Now, for J. Edgar Hoover to say that, right? You know, I mean, this is in the the era of John Dillinger and all that. But Gaston Means was um, the son of the mayor of Concord, and he was just a sociopath. It began when he was a little child, and he stole the coins his mother had been collecting for the Episcopal Church Mission Committee and pinned the crime on the maid. Um, well, his, he was just this cute little dimpled boy, and his mother believed him, and um, the maid was dismissed and left in tears. And Gaston, gazing at her through a window of his house and fingering the coins in his pocket, remembered them making the sweetest music I've ever heard. And that's a direct quote. So, you know, he just kind of went along in life until um, the Harding administration came along and he got a job working in the Justice Department, which was at the time called the Department of Easy Virtue. It was run by a man who had no no other call to be head of the Justice Department except that he was a lawyer and he had been Harding's campaign manager. And it was just known for its corruption. Um, but Gaston Means had an office there long after he was fired. And then he went to work for the Prohibition Bureau um, and he was taking massive bribes from bootleggers. And if they didn't pay up the bribes, he turned them into the Prohibition Bureau. So he was still in good graces with them. They're thinking, oh, wow, he's turning them as bootleggers. But they didn't know about the hundreds of thousands of dollars that he was he was taking from the bootleggers. If anyone remembers the series Boardwalk Empire, Yes. He, he had a major part in Boardwalk Empire. He was the one who had the goldfish bowl in a room of a hotel in New York. Oh, geez. And there would just be a note that says, put the money in the bowl. And he'd be in the next <laughs> room watching through the thing. But he finally um, went to prison on Volstead Act um, issues. And when he got out, he got involved with the Lindbergh kidnapping. Jeez. Um, he <laughs> you just can't make this stuff I know. Up. It's insane. Yeah, um, but he convinced the woman who owned the Hope Diamond, Evelyn Walsh McLean, that he was in touch with the kidnappers. And if she would give him $104,000, he would um, put her in touch with the kidnappers, hand the baby over to her, and she would be a hero. So she was a real gullible person, as you can imagine. She once lost the huge the the diamond, the Hope Diamond, while she was at her what? vacation home in Aiken, and discovered she had hidden it in the horn of her gramophone wrapped up in newspapers. Um, but one of the places he claimed that he was going to get the baby turned over to her in Aiken. So she went down to Aiken, hired a nurse and all that. And then he says, oh, no, they've moved again. They're in New Mexico. And by then, the Lindbergh baby was dead. They'd murdered him, you know, right after they caught him. So that was the last thing that landed him in prison. But between his prison sentences, he wrote a, a tell-all book called The Strange Case of President Harding, claiming that Mrs. Harding had poisoned her husband because she was jealous of all his infidelities. 
which was true. He once had sex in the um, coat closet of his office with his teenage mistress who did oh, have Lord. his baby. And it just goes on and on and on. But this is just fascinating. But his home is still there in yeah. Concord. It's a really beautiful old Victorian house. And then nearby is the Southern Grace Distillery, which is located in the Carborough, what was the Carborough County Prison. And um, it still looks like a prison. It still has all the signs up, cell block east, cell block west, with the barrels of bourbon aging in the um, the prison um, barracks. You know, that's another thing I just kind of stumbled on. Their, <laughs> their brand name is Conviction. Ah, <laughs> nice. So many twists and turns and so many connections with the guy from Concord. That's hard to believe. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, everyone in Concord knows the story about Gaston Means. Um, he also was um, conning a, a rich widow out of all her money. And about the time she was about to discover that she was broke, he took her rabbit hunting outside Concord and then brought her back with a hole in the back of her head, claiming that she had accidentally discharged a pistol into the back of her head. Good Lord. Um, and he was acquitted by a local jury. Um, what? Yeah, you know, it's it was it was like a it was like a, a Murdoch situation though, you know. His his dad was the mayor, right. his dad was an attorney, they hired the best criminal lawyers they could find, you know, had a sympathetic jury, they made a mistake of um, bringing in a Yankee as the prosecutor, you know, so this stuff happens. Wow. That you- it was actually a, a case, it was actually a civil case that was brought by the the family, so or the insurance company or something. But anyway, he got off on that one. So he'd gotten away with murder once when all this other stuff began with the Justice Department. Well, it sounds like you have stumbled upon some really amazing tales from yeah. uh, this, this uh, Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia area. Mm-hmm. The name of the, the, the latest book is? Methodist and Moonshiners, Another Prohibition Expedition Through the South with Cocktail Recipes. And um, this month on Evening Post Books, if you go to their website and put in the discount code December 20, you can get all of the books, um, the new releases, including Michael's and mine, for 20% off. And they pay shipping. What a deal. That is a deal. Well, I like yeah. the fact that you were saying earlier about your, your field work was cut uh, short a little bit in COVID. <laughs> so the field work sounds yeah. to me like some pretty good work you got going on there. It's pretty good fun. But it's, it's a lot of fun. A lot, a lot of fun, fun, but a lot of research too. Uh, so you yeah. talked about the book. Where can they find you on Substack or social media or where else can they find I'm you? On, I do a blog daily at bootleggers.substack.com. Um, just all kinds of history stuff and then cocktail recipes and the like. I'm also going to be on Walter Edgar's Journal, the podcast that will download on December 29th. Um, I did an interview with Dr. Edgar a few weeks ago. So anyone who's a South Carolina public TV, public radio fan Mm -hmm. can, can find me there. Very nice. Yeah. Catherine, thanks so much for joining us again. People go out and check out the book and her uh, Substack, et cetera. And we'll, uh, when you're doing your field work next time, invite us along for uh, a little a little tip of the moonshine. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Thanks, Catherine. Uh, okay, thank uh, you. Bye, thank you. Bye. Thank you, Catherine. All right, we're going to take a little break. We want you to support our sponsors. So listen to what they have to say here. Then we come back. Michael DeWitt on the hot seat talking about the fall of the House of Murdoch. It's coming up. And we're going to talk about Palmetto Pride Moonshine. 
the holiday season's coming up, so you can sip your way to the holiday season with Palmetto Distillery's collection of award-winning spirits. All right, guys, we got to try these all. 12 moonshine flavors, 6 sipping cream flavors, a 21% rye whiskey, and even ready-to-drink cocktails. Something for everyone on the list, so you can do this as a, a great present. I still say it's time for a Michael, Dwayne, Seton, Matt trip. But nevertheless, Michael, you're closer, so I expect uh, this sent up to us. You can share the love and spread some cheers this season. They're limited edition holiday samplers. Tell me more, Seton. Oh, I love it. They make a great gift. Uh, each set includes five top-selling Palmetto Moonshine flavors neatly bundled in a traditional candy cane case. A gift that looks as good as it tastes, yeah. Yep. Uh, search their online store locator to discover a liquor store near you or online at liquidblackjack.com. Michael, tell them about the limited time deal. I would be delighted to. And we're also going to post this on our Facebook page. Great. For a limited time, the Wicked South listeners can get a special 25% off online discount. Uh, from their online orders from palmettodistillery.com or liquidblackjack.com when you use this promo code, Holiday Cheers in all caps. Holiday Cheers. Use that promo code at checkout and get in the holiday spirit. Find your flavor and pass the jar. Palmettodistillery.com, liquidblackjack.com. Promo code Holiday Cheers. You can find it on the Wicked South Podcast Facebook page. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now we put Michael DeWitt on the hot seat. Uh, Michael, this is awesome that the book has come out, Paul, The House of Murdoch. Uh, you going to give us a little behind-the-scenes sneak peek, peek into the new book? That's right. Um, I'm going to uh, – I might even read you uh, one of my favorite passages or Ooh, favorite stories. Great. Um, just a little teaser. Uh, as you might say when you meet your favorite bootlegger out in the woods, I'm going to give you just a little taste, just a little taste. <laughs> Yeah. And then, uh, then you got to buy the rest. Right. So. Makes sense. Where would you like to begin with, with this uh, little tease? Well, I kind of want to, uh, you know, just quickly give you a behind the scenes of how the book came to be. Give the, the readers a little behind the scenes look and mention a few of the, the stories that I find most interesting. And then a couple of very quick readings that I think will entice and, and interest the readers and the listeners out there. Because we should mention, Michael, not to interrupt, but we should mention that this book is not, you know, it's called The Fall of the House of Murdoch, but it's not just about Alec Murdoch and the things, tragedies surrounding him. You are, this is the history 
of the Murdoch family in many ways, right? Absolutely. I tried to make this, uh, I guess, what I consider an epic. I wanted to take it from the early days of the family, uh, from the, the end of the Civil War, when one of Alex Murdoch's ancestors was said to be a Confederate hero. And I wanted to, to show how the powerful dynasty was built uh, generation by generation. Randolph Sr., Randolph Jr., Alex's father, Randolph III. And we go into the, the crimes, the murders, the financial crimes, the boat crash, uh, of course, the, the trial. So it's truly an epic. It starts at the uh, chronologically. It starts uh, in the with the surrender of the Confederacy at, in the Civil War and goes right up until just maybe a couple of months ago. We finally uh, revised the epilogue multiple times every time. Uh, some new development happened every time, for example, when Russell Lafitte was sentenced, when Corey Fleming was sentenced. I just kept updating it right up until the last minute when we had mm. to publish it in time for the Christmas shopping season. So it's been quite a journey, and it was a journey that I that I didn't want to go on. Um, when the boat crash happened uh, in 2019, I was very much in the middle of this Hampton County story. You know, everybody on that boat uh, had was either from Hampton County or had some connection. We'd been covering the Murdochs for uh, for decades here at The Guardian, my, myself included, writing, writing about their accolades, writing about their accusations. Uh, we've been doing our job as journalists, but I was asked to start making national TV appearances, and I was asked to write a book. And at first, I turned those opportunities down. I just wanted to do my job as a journalist and report on the case. For um, At the time, I was writing for the Hampton paper, the Savannah paper, and the Augusta, Georgia paper. And I just wanted to report on this for readers in our two states, our, our area, and, you know, not be on national TV. And and I was a different type of writer back then. I wasn't – I didn't consider myself a, a true crime writer. So I kind of turned – down these these requests and these opportunities until the murders happened and people finally convinced me that this was you know nobody could tell the story like someone from Hampton nobody could tell our community story better than someone from our community and so I finished up Wicked Hampton County which I'd already been working on and I began working on this book and basically I wrote two books in the uh, in the course of about 18 months. Wow, that is some heavy-duty writing. That is, you you, you are nose to the grindstone because the, as, the, as the trial took place, you're there 12 hours a day or whatever it is, plus trying to get out your articles about the trial. So this, this ate up a lot of your time over the last uh, 18 months. And uh, like you mentioned, I want to make clear to people, Michael has this unique perspective of being from Hampton County, of going to the same school of Alec, and uh, Alec's mom taught, and he, he knows a lot of these characters, at least on a friendly social uh, level at some point in his life. So I think it's a really fascinating look at it from a perspective no one else is bringing. So this is, this is great. Are there certain characters in this book that really jumped out at you? The only character that I villainized, that I truly villainized, is Alex Murdoch. And, and I guess he has villainized himself. With every character in this book, I tried to, you know, whether they were a, a Murdoch, 
attorney you know, and solicitor or whether they were or a victim or a friend or an ally of, of either side. I tried to treat these people like they were real people. I tried to portray them not in some one-sided, uh, one-dimensional way. And, and you know, you, you're not going to get uh, – if you if you want a book that basically says all – everyone in the entire Murdoch family is evil and this is a corrupt area of South Carolina and everybody here is, is corrupt, you're not going to find that in this book. I tried to be truthful. I tried to tell both sides of the story, and I tried to – to show the good that the Murdoch dynasty has done, as well as the evil and the negative uh, impacts. I try to be a journalist and a historian, and as a storyteller, you know, nobody's all good and nobody's all bad, uh, with the exception of Alex Murdoch. And I tried to write that way. I tried to keep an open mind and give something to the readers and, and to, I wanted to leave something behind for history that very few people probably are going to do. We can never lose sight of the fact that these people were, you know, when they were when they were doing right, they were upholding the law. They were putting away bad people. They donated to their communities. They did some good things, and we mentioned that in the book. But we don't take up for them when they do the bad things. We, right. I, I just put it all out there. The accusations against Alex's grandfather, the moonshine conspiracy, is in great detail in that book. You know, he was charged with all kinds of stuff. He was charged with the same crimes that Alex, he was accused of the same crimes that Alex Murdoch was. He was accused once of stealing from clients a couple of times. He was accused of tax evasion. And he always managed to get away because he was more powerful and more slick than Alex Murdoch ever was. Mm. And uh, so I tried to put that out there. But there, through all of that, there are a couple of um, really interesting stories that to kind of stick out to me. Yeah, we've told some great ones on this the Wicked South podcast for sure. Uh, but what what are the couple of the the favorites for you? Well, and like I said, just keep in mind that I don't I don't defend any bad behavior. I put it all out there and and let the reader judge um, for themselves. But we touched on a couple of them uh, right here on the podcast. Remember the episode of the pedophile preacher? Yes. Um, yes. That goes back to uh, to Randolph Murdoch Sr., who founded the family law firm, the first Murdoch solicitor. He also prosecuted a, a mysterious case of a, a man whose body was uh, a dead man whose body was found on the railroad tracks um, without a drop of blood left in the body. That was mm. a, a mysterious case. That he Not a drop of blood left in the body. The body was drained of blood. That, that's right. Um, it was like his body was put there and they wanted people to think the train actually ran over the body. They, <laughs> Except there's no I blood. They, <laughs> I think the idea was they wanted it, someone wanted it to look like this guy was hit by a train. Except the undertaker, the famous Hampton undertaker that I mentioned in this book and Wicked Hampton County, Said, well, that's a you know a mighty good theory, but there's no blood in the corpse. <laughs> Whenever he was hit, he was already dry as a bone. So um, he'd already bled out somewhere else, obviously. But uh, so there's interesting uh, historical murder cases like that. Of course, we've got um, Buster and the Great uh, Whiskey Conspiracy, in which he was on trial in federal court in Charleston and was acquitted, and a whole bunch of other people went to prison. There's a story, and I don't go into as much detail as I like in the story, but there's a story where Buster Murdoch, when I say Buster, I mean Randolph Jr., Alex's grandfather, he was accused of stealing a woman's cows. Um, hmm. We've all heard of Alex Murdoch stealing money. Yeah. 
But I've never heard of an attorney stealing a herd of cows. So he was sued and accused of rustling this woman's cows. But the rumors that that you won't find in the historical documents are that there was a perhaps a romantic relationship gone bad there. Mm -hmm. Um, He even had an illegitimate son by this woman. And if you are in the Murdoch chat groups, you know, you've probably heard these stories before. But the illegitimate son happens to be an attorney. Uh, so I figured I'd uh, the alleged illegitimate son. So I right. figured I'd leave that one out of the book. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good idea. We'll just stick with the uh, the cow, uh, you know, rustler story. That part of it. Yeah, I can prove that. That was yes. written up in newspapers. That's that correct. was in the lawsuits. Yes. But I can't prove the, the romance and yeah. I can't prove the illegitimate son. So I just... That may be uh, fodder for my next book, some fiction based on all of this. Aha, uh-huh. a little tease, uh-huh. I think. Very nice. Yeah, a little teaser. One of the things you you talk about in there is, and Seton's not here today, but she she had a connection with the uh, Hilton Head Strip Clubs. We did an episode on that. Well, I should I should explain I should explain if I just say she is something <laughs> that didn't sound yeah, right. She, she's not a regular there. Let's go ahead and no, correct that. Wasn't wasn't performing. Wasn't regular. She was babysitting for a family who was going to the grand opening of this big strip club. Which Murdoch was it? That was uh, the solicitor was also like, well, I better check on this firsthand. That's one that we've talked about on the podcast, and I even did a book signing at the Hilton Head Country Club recently, and I shared that story. Man, they loved it. Um, I bet. A uh, couple of faces turned red. I think a couple of them might have been to that same strip club. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, this was Randolph Murdoch III, Alex's right. father. He promised to uh, to keep a close eye. That was his quote. And uh, uh-huh. he winked at me when he told me that story. He said, I'm going to keep a close eye on their activities for the good of the 14th Circuit. Some of the things in the book are a, a mix of humor and entertainment and, and tragedy. Uh, and that's a lot we talked about right there was the past, but all the things surrounding Alec are covered as well. Or I mean, sometimes you just kind of peripheral Alec because sometimes it was his son or another accident, say Stephen Smith. So you have that covered as well. That's right. I, I wrote the book. I didn't want to go in true chronological order because then you wouldn't get to the current events until the end of the book. Um, I wrote it with with basically uh, twin parallel plot lines. I have a, a, a historical chapter and then a modern chapter okay. alternating. And so as you learn about the history of the dynasty, you also learn some behind the scenes stuff, you know, what it was like in, in Hampton at, and, and at the newspaper when Stephen Smith was killed. You uh, learn about the boat crash, the, uh, the financial crimes, the murders, the trial, the aftermath, all that's in there. Part one, the book is divided into three parts. Part one alternates history and current events. And then part two begins with the homicides, the double homicides at Moselle. And then part three begins with the trial and the aftermath. So I think it, uh, you know, you could you could write 100,000 words or more about this case. Uh, when I turned in the rough draft, it was 70,000 words and the editors had to cut it down for for size. But it's quite an epic. Uh, it tries to show how the dynasty was built and the whole backstory of how Alex Murdoch came to be so powerful and corrupt. And then it shows the downfall of Alex and this dynasty. And hopefully I've done a good job. It, at the very least, you will uh, 
be entertained. You'll learn some history and you will see that these people, for better or worse, are were good. I mean, not good. They are or were real people, not just characters that you read about in, in a newspaper. So uh, now it's time for a little uh, tease, a little sip of the moonshine, if you will. Uh, the sip of the fall of the House of Murdoch by Michael DeWitt Jr. Michael, give it to us. All right, I'm going to do a short reading. Uh, this is a story. Um, I'm going to start with a quote from Randolph Buster Murdoch Jr., who was one of the most colorful uh, of the Murdoch men. A uh, little quote from him, and then a story that he told. And then I'm going to give you a couple of characterizations uh, uh, to wrap things up. So here is from Chapter 12, Moonshine Conspiracies. Here's a couple of quotes from Randolph Buster Murdoch Jr., Alex's grandfather. You can't outpiss a polecat, and you can't outprint the press. Mm. So if y'all think you can get rid of <laughs> old Buster, you've got another thing coming. Wow. That was passed down to me from a, a, a Hampton County police chief that Buster used to tell him when the Guardian was given the Murdoch's hell in the paper or given the police department hell, I don't remember. Um, one of the policemen asked Buster for advice, and that's the quote he gave him. You can't outpiss a polecat, you can't outprint the press. It's so, so Southern. It's so, uh, you just <laughs> imagine, I mean, it is so uh, like Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> it's like that, that it's, it's, it's it, just so perfect. Yeah, I don't think any other author, and I'm going to mention some some great authors that are also doing Murdoch books. But I don't think any other author, except maybe one of those two, might uh, stumble upon that quote because it's never been written anymore. It's just kind of been passed down while you're drinking brown liquor uh, at, at, <laughs> at the hunting lodge or the law firm or whatever. So, right. um, now, here's the, the reading that opens that chapter. The following story is either untrue or highly exaggerated. Solicitor Randolph Murdoch Jr. lost what he thought would be a slam dunk bestiality case against a man caught in the act with a goat. The accused man took the stand and claimed he was a victim of entrapment. Are you saying the goat seduced you? Buster asked. Well, the man said, that nanny goat backed her rear end right up to the fence and enticed me. Buster knew he had lost a case when one farmer on the jury turned to another and said, a good goat will do that, you know. <laughs> so he passed away right before I started my career at The Guardian. So I was a contemporary of Alex's father, Randolph III. I knew him well. I heard his stories firsthand. That was a story that was passed down to me. And um so I uh, put that disclaimer there that it might be a little exaggerated. Who knows? <laughs> That's bad. No, just kidding. <laughs> That's a little bad joke. Seaton would love that. Seaton she would. Love. I bet she'd be blushing right now. <laughs> That's fantastic. I can't wait to get my hands on uh, the copy of the book, The Fall of the House of Murdoch. Uh, again, how do they get the book? I mean, we'll have a link on the Wicked South Podcast Facebook page. But what uh, what can they do again, Michael? Okay. And uh, – the Evening Post books, eveningpostbooks.com. You go there and go on your new releases. And don't forget the promo code, December 20. You can save 20% on my book and Catherine's book. 
as well as get free shipping. So uh, we want to um, keep mentioning that. That's so. very good. So uh, before we wrap this Wicked South podcast episode, well, you kind of hinted at another book coming up. Do you have plans? Do you have readings of the book or signings or anything we should let people know about? Absolutely. And before I tell you about my future plans, I want to give a shout out to two other um, Murdoch historians and Murdoch authors. Be sure to get uh, Jason Ryan's book. It's going to be out in April of next year. Um, it's called Swamp Kings. And he's taken uh, the very same approach that I have, a historical true crime epic approach. Is Jason uh, behind Jackpot? Right? Is that the... That's right. He's right. The, the great author who wrote Jackpot. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a good dude. Spent some time with him during the trial and also had him on talking about Jackpot, which is the gentleman smuggler's of South Carolina. It's a, it's a cool book. If you get a chance, uh, I would advise you to, to read that. Uh, who else? And uh, as well as Valerie Bauerlein, she is a reporter for the wall street journal, but she is a Carolina girl right here, right here in North Carolina. She sat every day uh, with me and Jason covering the Murdoch trial in, in Walterburg. She, uh, we called it author's row. The three of us, there were a lot of people writing books about this crime saga, but the three of us kind of took a, a, a historical approach. And in the process, even though we're we're com- kind of competing, we became fast friends and, and kind of talked to each other and stay in touch and um, formed a little author support group, if you will, whenever we need advice or or uh, or something of that nature. So be sure to check those out. There'll yes. be a lot of great books coming out of this uh, tragic um, story, I'm sure. Um but I, I, those are two that I'm definitely waiting for. Valerie is super cool, fun person, and kind. And I think that it says a lot about the three of you. Yes, there is maybe a friendly competition, if you will, or something like that. But you are all pals. You're all kind to each other. You all respect each other. And that happens most of the time in... The world we're all in. I mean, author a little bit different than podcast or radio, but there are occasionally people who don't think like the three of you. So I admire that. And I hope that you know, Seton and I do the same thing with others as well and not try to, you know, take apart people who do similar things. It's, it's, it's just silly. Good work by the three of you. I, I really uh, admire that. Well, and, and thank you. I thought it was, it was kind of wonderfully odd myself that, uh, that we became friends and, uh, you know, we have a, a group text on our phones whenever one of us has a, a bad day or needs some advice or some comfort. You know, we kind of text each other and, and support each other. And um, it's, uh, it's it's definitely different, but it's definitely, I think, a, a great thing. And uh, I've got some plans. I am hoping that one day, eventually, the Murdoch mess, as we call it, will will be uh, over. I want to go back to writing uh, Southern Humor, of course. Uh, I'm working on some fiction projects. There's a lot of this uh, Murdoch crime saga. There are stories that I've heard, but I can't document and I can't prove. So I'm going to write some short stories and maybe a novel kind of inspired by all of this. Um, I'm going to um, kind of take the lead from Catherine Smith and do some stuff on, on Substack. Uh, maybe some serial fiction based inspired by true crime or um, maybe a little Southern humor. Uh, so those are kind of my plans for the new year to, you know, learn and, 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 and benefit from this experience with, with true crime, but let it help me 
transform to the next level. I want to get back to fiction and get back to humor, but I want to learn from this experience and, and try to take something from it. So those are those are kind of my plans. And I have no doubt you will succeed in all of those things, Michael. It's a, it's a pleasure doing this with you. Now we have to, uh, once again, before we wrap, thank our sponsors again for, if it weren't for that, without them, we couldn't be doing this every week. So give them a thanks, uh, Mike. Well, a uh, uh, heartfelt uh, thank you with a lot of love to Kenny Kinsey, Palmetto Pride Distillery, and Rotten Little Bastard Distillery. We couldn't keep this podcast going without your guys' support, and uh, we're going to be um, visiting you again soon. And we just appreciate all you do. Appreciate people for listening and saying kind words about us. Yes, sir. Uh, you can reach out the Wicked South podcast on Facebook. Michael DeWitt Jr. on his various socials. And please subscribe, follow, rate, share, and comment, and pick up the book, The Fall of the House of Murdoch and Wicked Hampton County. We're always grateful, and we'll talk soon, friend. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.